guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube channel and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a fantastic interview. I'm so looking forward to have Miranda Joe Davis on board here today. Miranda is a woman who has a lot of experience with alcohol, but not like many other guests on the receiving end of the drinking end, but rather as a person who has lived with loved ones who are, who are and were drinking at the time. And it is that group of people that is often neglected, that is often not talked about. And these are the true heroes and heroines in my eyes, because it is such a hard thing to live with someone like me uh, many years ago. I mean, I, I must have been not a very nice man to live with. And I think it's time for me as, as part of making amends is to listen to stories such as yours, Miranda, and also share your insights and, and the solutions that you found for your own life and that you can now give to others. So Miranda, thank you so much. I'm really humbled and, and blessed that you're here on my show. Thank you so much for having me, Stefan. It's, it's an honor to be able to speak about such a difficult talk, topic like alcoholism and, and addiction. Um, but you know, my story has a purpose and I know that if it reaches just one of your listeners today, then mm. that would be a wonderful way to equip someone to deal with such a devastating disease. It's so true. And I mean, I've, I've mentioned the statistics in other interviews, but it's one in three, one in three people have got a chemical addiction. And if you then think that each of these people has got at least one significant other, well, addiction touches at least half of the population. But it's a hidden disease. We try to hide it. There's a shame, a stigma, all that. And it's as much perpetrated by the 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 loved ones, the the wives, the husbands who don't want to let the neighbors and the whole uh, everyone else know that the husband, the wife of them is constantly uh, drunk or hungover or is, is living with the, or they are living with the consequences of the addiction. So it's, therefore it is so important. Guys, you are not alone out there. There's probably a damn good reason that you have switched on this particular YouTube video when it comes to, to the loved ones of alcohol. It gives me an idea that probably you are affected in one way or the other. So this is for you guys out there to clearly, clearly tell you there are ways that you can look after yourself in the first instance and then help the people you love. Miranda, so again, thank you so much for coming on. Miranda, you for sure uh, did not, uh, well, normally I would say when you go back to your childhood, I'm sure you didn't want to wake up one day and, and say, great, I become an, uh, a counselor for or a health coach or something like that and get involved with looking after people that suffer from alcoholism. Having said that, your story starts in childhood, doesn't it? 
You know, it does. And, um, you know, I would not wish anyone to be born into the disease of alcoholism. Um, it is a very chaotic, hard way to grow up as a child. And some of the effects of that, you know, I learned to be a little adult at a very young age. I learned how to take care of myself. I've tried to be perfect. I tried to um, present myself to the world. Like you talked about the world on the outside, they saw this perfect little child. You came into my home and you saw that the world was crumbling. And so I learned to do very well. We call it the chameleon, but I could change and adapt to any situation and circumstance so that I could be whoever I wanted you to think I was. But on the inside, I was crumbling. And, you know, as a child, uh, I would say you don't really see a lot of those things, um, how they're going to affect you as you grow up. But I had a lot of anger. I didn't know I had anger, but I bottled it up and kept it inside. Um, and I took that out on my siblings at times. Um, there's a lot of things that I've had to learn in recovery that I had to make amends for the way that I acted, even though someone else was drinking, someone else was using the drugs in the home. It's a family disease that profoundly affects the whole family. And so, you know, if there's someone in your house that it has that spiritual sickness, it's going to taint the other members of the family where they become spiritually sick too. And so you get these defects of character that you learn to cope with life. You learn to try to deal with life. You're just doing the best you can. I've learned that in recovery. I was just doing the best I could, but it was a very hard way to live. My book, My Steps to Sobriety, in there is a chapter called The Silent Generation. Now, the silent generation normally refers to the people who were born after the Second World War and who just, or around about that time, and, and kept their mouth shut about their experiences. Uh, that is actually not true in this setting here. For the silent generation that I talk about are the children of alcoholic families because they know that they have to be silent because the moment they speak up, they probably get a uh, torrent of abuse thrown at them if they speak at the wrong time. These are the silent kids because they have learned that they don't need to ask parents for anything. Can we go to the, to the park on Sunday? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Chances are, no, you will not go to the park on Sunday because your parents are already pissed or, or hungover or whatever. So it is that kind of flow and effect that, unfortunately, these children, me included, you included, are, are suffering from. And it should not be under-recognized at all. It is a lot. I mean, how were you with trust, trusting other people? So... As a child, you know, trusting authority, um, I, and I, I had my own sense of rebelliousness. Um, you know, I, I was not the one that was uh, causing all the problems I felt like in the house, but yes, I was rebellious towards authority. Um, I grew up in an agnostic home, and so we learned, or my, my family's belief were if you tried hard enough, if you were smart enough, if you, you know, whatever efforts you could put towards anything that you could make that happen. And I, I, that worked for a long time. But when I married an alcoholic and put all my trust in an alcoholic, and I was let down time after time after time in my life, I realized that all my efforts 
were not working. And so that was the first time in my life when I felt like I really failed. You were a very self-reliant girl at a very early stage. And then you jumped to your marriage. Now, in between, there are a few things happening there that I would like to explore first before we jump into the, the marriage. And you were saying rebellious. There is, uh, first of all, you had that history in the family. You had probably a genetic predisposition to drink yourself. Did you ever get tempted by alcohol yourself? Absolutely. So my rebelliousness did manifest. I drank with the best of them. I was, I could, I could not drink people under the table, but I certainly tried to, I tried to keep up. I found alcoholics were exciting people because even though in my home that there would be a lot of drinking, um, my parents were a lot of fun. They had a lot of parties. Um, they had a very, you know, vibrant social life, even though most of the times I would know that it would end poorly some way whether it was their hangovers or my parents fighting or, you know, someone at the party fighting. Um, it was a, it was a, I thought an attractive lifestyle. So that is what I pursued through those teenage years. I was looking for the people who were out to have a good time and I was right there with them. And that's, that's part and parcel of it because you're, you're searching for reward. You're searching for a good time. You're searching for the real you in that time of your life. And of course, our goal plays part and parcel of that role. It is, it's part of you growing up. At least that was the case for me and for many, many, many of my contemporaries. What changed? At which stage did the alcohol for you no longer uh, play a role or at which stage did you actually part with alcohol? You know, um, as I continued to mature out of college, uh, you know, my college years, I was in a sorority, lots of drinking in the sorority, you know, fraternity parties, all those things. Um, and I don't regret any of that. I just want to say, I don't, I will never wonder what it's like to party like a rock star. I've seen it. Um, you know, so that's something I, you know, the recovery tells me not to regret my past because it helps me to shape who I am today. Um, but when I was started, I got married at 24 years old and, um, I, my husband is a fun guy. He is a lot of fun. And as we were going through those years, my late 20s, I kind of started to realize there had to be more to life than just a party. And I started to feel this emptiness inside. And I was searching and looking and seeking. And I, part of my story is um, I found yoga. And yoga was this very big spiritual component of my life that gave me a lot of fulfillment that I think that partying used to, to be a part of. Um, and then I, I also found on my own, I found uh, a faith in a higher power. I, I found God um, on my own. That just happened at the same time. I found yoga and religion at the same time. And so I started to feel really good with those two things. Um, and so at the more I would talk about these things with my spouse, the more it was like, um, you, you, you knew what you were getting, right? This is, these are the conversations I'd have with my husband. You knew what you were getting with me. 
I like that you are a fun person. I like that you like to party right there with me. And so I'm not on board with all this stuff that you're wanting to do. And so that kind of started the, I kind of started to be the nag and the wet blanket. <laughs> In his eyes, did you perceive and, yourself to be? You know, I mean, when you're living with alcoholism, you don't know a lot of times what's true and what's not. Um, especially when you're, you're finding out who you are and you're trying to connect to the spiritual life, you know, um, and you love this person. I mean, that's the thing about living with a, a loved one who is sick with this disease. You love them and you want to believe and trust, but the disease is more powerful than they are and than you are. And so um, it lies. The disease lies. Love it. Love it. Love it. You know, when you know that uh, an alcoholic is lying, his lips move. And <laughs> unfortunately, that is true. That is true. Uh, the amount of lies I have told my wife. Oh, my God. And I looked her in the eyes and said, no, of course, I haven't drunk anything. She would smell my breath. But I smell something. No, no, it's ginger beer. It's ginger beer, darling. It's all fine. No, I have not drunk a single drop. As, as um, unbelievable, unbelievable. I, I turned out to be quite a good liar, but oh, of course that works for for two free glasses, and then you're so pissed that you're you're half falling falling over. And uh, surprise, surprise, uh, she will find out, or he will find out. That's the reality. We are liars, and it is what it is. That is the biggest biggest part of our our disease. It is just as much as a diabetic has got high blood sugars, we lie. And full stop, that is us. So you became the nagging wet blanket. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, how long were you married by then? We were probably married around five years. Cool. And it's hard because obviously you suddenly start changing and that makes it hard because the other thing that we alcoholics do is we surround ourselves with other alcoholics because then at least you are not the worst you know that probably you're drinking too much but hey look at joe over there <laughs> he is oh, oh look at him yeah um you can yeah that's how we play it and then suddenly uh we if if joe was now to become sober then we would basically get rid of Joe. But if you're married to Miranda, who now gets sober, yeah, hmm, no longer so easy. Mm -hmm. So did the rouse increase in numbers and ferocity? So, um, could you repeat that? The, uh, sorry, I used the word row. The, uh, did the fights increase in number and ferocity? Absolutely. You know, um, I, I didn't, I would, <laughs> it's so funny. Yes, we fought very intensely. Um, sometimes I would, I recognize now in recovery, the fights would be because I would just be angry. I would be at home and I would be angry and I would be waiting and I would have these <laughs> scenarios in my mind, you know, that he's, killed someone in a car accident. He's killed himself in a car accident. He's not coming home tonight. You know, he's wrecked his car. All these things that Al-Anons are people, loved ones of alcoholics. I say Al-Anon because that is the 12-step program I am in 
which is a, it's a worldwide fellowship and program. Um, but I became very good at being dramatic. So I would, while he was, you know, as he would come home, I would just wait and I would pounce on him. And partly it would be that way, or he would create fights with me so that he would have an excuse to go drink. So it happened both ways. Good one. I did that. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> what an asshole I was. Um, but it is, it, is, it, it is logical when you actually want to drink and your wife is nagging. What better way to do it than actually have her really angry? Then you have got to write on, darling, see, because you treated me like that, you bitch. I go out now and get pissed. Ha <laughs> ha, I show you. It's such a bizarre world in which we alcoholics are living, but that makes sense to you then. And now when I spell it out like that, I have to say, oh my God, uh, but it is what it is. So yes, uh, but you had not had the chance yet to explore yourself and, and really get the insight into the nitty gritty of what's actually going on. So, uh, how how long was that phase between you stopping to drink yourself and doing the yoga, finding God, and then becoming more assertive, I guess, about your path because you thought that your path is more valuable uh, and you would love for your partner to, to come along on that path and then him actually following through. How long was that period? It, it's a very long time. Um, and I want to be clear, Stefan, that I, I am not sober, um, but I rarely drink. I just don't enjoy it. So I will have champagne on a special occasion or something like that. So um, I do want to clarify that with your listeners. I started being turned off by that lifestyle in my late 20s and started pursuing these other spiritual paths. And during that time, um, there was an instrumental person that was brought into my life. And um, I met her through my, we were, I was in a small group study and she had 20 years sobriety. Now at the, at the time of my, at my age, someone who had been sober for 20 years, I, I just thought that was the longest amount of time you could ever, I mean, I just couldn't even imagine. But she recommended and saw some, because I had confided in her, she saw some things. She's like, it seems like there's a problem in your home with drinking. Um, and there's, maybe he's an alcoholic. And that had never crossed my mind. So it started around my 30th birthday. I'm now turned 46 this year. I worked a program of recovery for myself for eight years before my husband chose to get sober himself. So many, many years of still dealing with drinking to different degrees. He tried a lot of things. He did a lot of different ways that were a part of his story. And I'm not here to tell his story, but it, he did not get completely sober until this um, December will be his ninth year. Wow. Well, first of all, congratulations to him. Wow. It takes, it takes balls to do that. So, exactly. So well done. Um, but eight years, that's a long time. I'm just trying to figure out with regards to my wife. My wife had a similar journey to yours as far as her own demons are concerned when it comes to, to finding God and stopping drinking. 
and it must have been at least three or four years um, that I continued to drink whilst she was sober. So a very similar setup, very similar set of frustrations. <sighs> Why did you not run away? Why did you not say enough is enough? Well, I had a I had a spiritual awakening, as they talk about in step 12, having had a spiritual awakening. I didn't know that's what it was, but I was I fell down on my knees crying out to God that I cannot stand one more minute of this life. I can't take anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't know why. And God, I heard God say quietly to my spirit, you don't have to let me. And there's a term um, that I love, let go and let God. You know, I, my alcoholic was clutching a bottle and I was clutching the alcoholic. I didn't understand that. I was obsessed with them. I was controlling, manipulative, mean, spirited, so many things that that the just them taking a drink brought out in my spirit. And I was so tired and so defeated and so done, done with it. I wanted to walk away. But because I had started to pursue a faith, I prayed and I asked God, show me and all I felt God would say is work on yourself. Quit looking at him and work on yourself and look at me. Look to me for direction. Don't look to him anymore. Focus on working on you. And so when I really took that to heart, my life really started to change. And so did my thoughts towards the alcoholic. That, that anger I had was replaced with compassion. And that's amazing. That's a miracle to me. Wow. I think... Always remember if you're an aeroplane and there's an emergency and the oxygen masks fall down, what are you supposed to do? Put it onto yourself first and then help others. Because if you don't look after yourself, you're no use to helping others, however much spiritually or, or in, in, in physical body you would like to do. If you burn yourself out and if, you, if you're consumed by negative emotions, then you're no good. You don't, you don't have the distance to actually see objectively what is really going on because you're still living subjectively in your anger, in your case, in the frustration, in, the, in your own world of demons, in your own uh, very personal hell. And it is such an important thing. Wow. I'm really, really, really pleased for you that you had this experience with Jesus Christ and God. I have not had the opportunity yet. Who knows what comes in the future? I certainly am open, but I, I personally am still agnostic. I'm, I call myself humanist. I believe in good and bad. After all, that's why I'm sitting here and trying to make this world a bit of a better place with 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 my work. But it is wonderful. I'm really, really pleased for you that you found God. Did you found you found God first, then you found Alanon, isn't it? From a That's sequence. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. But Alanon, the, the Alanon group that you followed or you were, became part of, was that a, a religious group? You know, it is not. So it's the God of your understanding. And that's what's beautiful about 12 step is that, you know, it's for people in our preamble, we say it's for people of any religious faith or of none. 
Um, all you have to do to work the program is, you know, to be honest, open-minded, and willing. If you can be those three things, then your life will surely change. <laughs> so true. The reason I'm, I was asking this question is uh, it's more uh, um, an insider question, I guess, because there are some groups out there, literal groups, literal, you know, you go to a suburb of a town and meet a certain set of people. And they happen to be incredibly religious and quite fanatically so. So and that is sometimes a problem if then people from either a different domination or uh, a different or of no f strong beliefs in any deity, if they then come in there and they feel that, that God is being rammed down their throat. Uh, I have personally never experienced that. Most of the meetings that I went to and, and certainly uh, the, the people I talked to, they used the 12 steps rather as a, as a sensible, logical approach towards sobriety and towards life, where, uh, as you say, God can be a group of orderly drunks. God can be a group of druggies. It's the group, it's something outside of yourself that has the power or is given the power. If you like to believe in God, it's still the group that harnesses the power and gives it to you and shows you ways of, of a different future, ways forward that move away from alcohol. Yes, you are very likely to relapse at some stage. Yes, you will have problems. Yes, that's that's life. But it's still the 12 steps are such a beautiful, beautiful system that can help you. So it's lovely to hear you emphasizing the 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 it's not secular, it's it's open, I would describe it, the 12 steps. It's open to everyone. Yes, and absolutely. <laughs> There, there is, you know, part of my story is now that I counsel women um, and I do that. I'm a biblical counselor. So that's part of what I do in ministry. There is a gospel centered recovery by Matt Chandler um, that is very powerful too. And I walk women through that as well, mm -hmm. who just want to focus on the Christ component. But I do see both programs working very well. Indeed. And they are not exclusive. They are not exclusive. There is a spiritual component. And if that gives you the strength and the hope and the, 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 the light to then do the more, more difficult parts of the AA, because it, it's at one stage, regardless what program you have or combination of programs, you need to do the hard work. You need to peel away the layers of yourself. You need to figure out where the trauma is coming from. When you're angry with someone, why are you angry? What is really happening? Are you really angry with him? Or are you angry with your father uh, at, a, at a very early stage because you felt neglected, etc.? And now you, you, you sort of transfer the feelings from your past onto this person now. Is that is what is happening? I could be talking bullshit right now for your life, but you know there's always more to to a story, and that's the hard stuff that you need to do. So there's only so much praying you can do and 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 working with God on on a, a pure belief. If you don't look at your past and your the roots for what is happening in you, I'm sorry, you will not get very far. And it's the same in any kind of other system. If you don't do the work, 
you will fail. End of the story. Would you agree there? Hmm. Yes, I agree. Faith without works is dead. Hmm. Um, I absolutely believe that. Hmm. Um, I needed, I needed someone to show me an outline of how do you live with alcoholism? How do you live through that? Um, and I, as much as I wanted the focus to be about him, once you start working a program of recovery on an Al-Anon, the focus shifts to yourself. You know, we keep the focus on us and not the alcoholic. And so that is a very different perspective when you've lived in it in your home most of your life. You've had alcoholics around you because others focused was familiar and comfortable. Taking that and shifting it to myself and having to look at what was my part. There's something I love, Stefan, called um, the three C's. You can't control it. You can't cure it. You um, didn't cause it. But you can, there's a fourth C that's hidden. You can contribute to the disease of alcoholism. I contributed mm. to someone's disease by making their life at home miserable. I can, I can make amends for my part. I was a nag. I was not a pleasant person to live with. And so I had to look at my part in someone else's drinking. That's a hard thing to do. Mm. Ooh, ooh. Yes, you're right. Oh, very nice. Very, very nice. Now that's These were discussions that my wife and I had for a long time because, yeah, it takes two to tango. And uh, we had so many rows and some of the rows, uh, they had a damn good reason. And I guess some of my points were not just me being an alcoholic, but actually me trying to stand up for myself and trying to say that my needs were not being met my and with that i i don't mean literally but actually my spiritual needs my 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 needs the way i was treated things like that so much out there so and you already get the idea there's so many nuances out there guys it is uh, one discussion will not change the world but one discussion might plant a seed that then starts growing and the more discussions you do, suddenly you add water to that seat. And, and sooner or later, things start changing. And it's beautiful. And by the time you've blinked, you've got suddenly not a seat, but you've got a tree that gives you shade and, and protection and, and beauty. And the birds are singing in it. And it sounds corny, but it is true. It is essentially what happens in our lives once we do the recovery work. And that's why Miranda is sitting there and why I'm sitting here and why we want to share that passion. I love that. That's beautiful. It's, um, I once had another uh, alcoholic in recovery explain it to me this way. The family tree of alcoholism has a lot of dead branches because there's so many people who are affected by the disease. It could be people who drink or drug or it can be the people who love them because we get sick with them, as I I've talked about earlier. But my branch of the family tree is vibrant. It has the fruit, it has the birds, because I put in the spiritual work and the effort to make things different. I am not defined by that family tree of alcoholism. I've had the ability through 12 step, through God, through my higher power, to be able to make a tree that is a tree of life. And God willing, 
that will be passed on to my children. I am breaking the cycle of alcoholism with myself and my spouse so that we can have children learn to live in a home that is harmonious and peaceful. And we are parents they can trust. We are there for them. We have a home of recovery and building that for my family is a beautiful, it's, it's one of the best gifts I've received from recovery. And so true, because then you can break the cycle. Normally, there is a, a strong component there because one generation learns from the other. And if we don't break that, they will just not only have the genetic predisposition, but they actually see that it's normal that you can't trust anyone, that it's normal that you be let down, that it's normal that you have to fend for yourself when you're six years old. Uh, so this is exactly what we are doing here. So I was wondering, damn, will my boys have the genes for alcoholism? And there are many genes out there. There's not just one that you could possibly slice out or so. No, it's a combination. It's basically genetic traits. And I'm pretty certain that they have got the traits for addiction. But I'm also bloody certain that certainly the last seven years, my wife and I are living a life where we talk about our emotions, where we talk, where we fight maybe, but then we make up and we show that to the boys. We show them that a man does apologize when he finds himself wrong because we are wrong often. And that's not just a man, a woman the same way. And we model that you can have your own beliefs. My wife is, is very religious. She loves her, her church, is very involved with it. I, I'm sorry, I'm not. But uh, we, we have stopped fighting or trying to somehow influence each other. No, it is, we both give each other the, the grace. And she goes to the church, I say, say hello to Jesus. And she says, she comes back and says, yeah, Jesus says hello. And it is, it is just lovely. So you can live with different opinions and different worldviews. And we are modeling that you can live together and still love each other. And that, that lesson is hopefully strong enough to beat the genetic traits of, ah, oh, let me just, poor me, poor me, poor me, another one kind of a thing. Ah, oh, beautiful. So well done, Miranda. I mean, wow, wow, what a journey. I mean, what, what, a, what a long journey. I mean, you're talking years and years of discovery, what is going on. So, and you're still working in it. Do you still get revelations every day? Do you still get insights every day? Absolutely. I, I, what I've learned is that I'm enough to work on myself. I can't possibly know what's best for another person, my spouse included. Um, God's given me enough to work on. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a one I am, the mission is me I ha, and that's in a good way. Uh, yeah. It's not in a selfish way. It's, it's, um, my mission is to take the best possible care of myself that I can while I'm here on this earth and to bring the good news and to, and to share the message of recovery, to bring hope to other people while I'm here on this earth. When I do that, I don't focus on, I don't focus on him. I don't think about his habits or his behaviors because, you know, the truth is I still live with a recovering alcoholic who still has quirks and behaviors and things that are 
maybe a little bit reminiscent of, of still, you know, someone who maybe drinks or um, doesn't. It's just, it's just the character of the person. Um, and so I can get back into that stuff really easy. You know, let's try, let me say something to him a different way. I'll say the same thing, you know, a different way in a different tone of voice. I have to look at those patterns and behaviors that I have, the, the need to want to be in control, my number one character defect. And so I'm always having to bring it back to the steps, back to God, back to looking at myself. I, I know that I will never be done with this work. <laughs> and and I guess that's such a beautiful insight too, because you could look at it positively. It's never boring. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel the same. It is, it is I've started at the start of this year, I started more getting more involved with the YouTube and learning how to podcast. And now I've got this, this, uh, this, this opportunity to talk to such beautiful people like yourself. And every interview makes me think every interview shakes me up a little bit. Every interview gives me a new point of view that I maybe had not uh, considered before, or it gave me a repetition of a, of a point of view that suddenly becomes a new meaning because I see things different in my life. So there is a constant, constant growth there, and I cherish it for what it is. And I, it would be a sad day when I don't grow spiritually, creatively, uh, as a man. And guys, if you listen to that, it is it is waiting for you. It's waiting for you. So we, it does not matter which system ultimately attracts you. If you are religious, if you have found God already, I'm really pleased for you. And, and then to work with a, a biblical counselor, wow, that, is, that, that would be so down your alleyway. So if people wanted to work with you, Miranda, how does that work? I mean, do you take on uh, clients or are you so flat out that you have to say, well, let me just check my calendar for 2022? That's great. No, I'm, I believe that service work is very important to my own recovery. And so, um, you know, I always want to make sure it's a good fit for whoever that I work with, but they can reach me at mirandajoedavis.com and look under my coaching and mentoring section and contact me that way. Um, and I would love to have a conversation with you about whatever's going on in your life. I want to say, you know, there's several lifelines out there. I mean, I'm, I'm just one of thousands or millions of lifelines for people who need help. I would say um, when you were speaking stuff on Fear can be a big block for people. It can be a very scary thought to enter the rooms of recovery or to recognize that you have to change, um, that you want the other person to change, but you have to change. You have to be willing to change. You know, fear can stand for, you know, future events appearing real, um, but it can also stand for face everything and recover and so it's a really important way to overcome that fear and step forward and, and make, make the necessary steps, however slow or small they are, move forward and find that lifeline, um, whether it's myself or there's literally someone out there for everyone. Step out of faith and step out of fear and step into faith and find that person for you. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. The, but fear is is a huge thing, and 
fear of the unknown. But then again, it might be worthwhile for you to just sit down and write down what is actually happening right now. So it is one thing to just live in the in the day in, day out and go through the fights. It's another thing to press the pause button, the stop button, and actually uh, journal, actually write things down for yourself and and spell things out. The sheer process of putting it into writing, putting it into words, and then reading it to yourself aloud, suddenly you hear something and you think, that is really my life. So it might help you to come to that point where you realize actually enough is enough. We can do better. Darling, I love you. But as, as a previous guest said it, uh, darling, I love you and I will live a good life that's either with you or without you. And I would love it to be with you. So, and, and that, is, that is essentially the, the attitude that you need to develop. You come first, and you need to look after yourself with all the, the, the love that you deserve, with all the care that you deserve as the, the husband of an alcoholic wife, as the partner. It doesn't matter which sex, and if you have a same-sex marriage or a partnership, it doesn't matter whatsoever. Uh, it is the same holds true, just that you love this person. You need to look after yourself. Otherwise, your life is meaningless because it's as broken as the other person is. Hmm. Miranda, I'm so pleased that you came today onto my show. It is so lovely for you to, to share your insights and, and more importantly, your focus on solutions, your focus on, on going out there. So you yourself do the, the biblical coaching, the biblical recovery work. You've talked about Al-Anon. Uh, is Al-Anon at the moment going Zoom? Um, do they, are they available out there to tap in? And if someone who has never heard about Al-Anon uh, and would like to actually just listen to something of that, how do they go about that? Can you guide us this way? Yes, absolutely. So alanon.org will point you through a general our worldwide service organization. Um, then you can find and get connected to someone. There's still people answering phones if you found a phone number and they will connect you to a group that's in your area. And everything is done by Zoom right now. There's conferences being done by Zoom. There's speaker meetings being done by Zoom. Um, you can go into a Zoom room completely anonymous if you'd like to. Um, you do not have to share your screen. You do, can just put your first name on there. Um, you know, it is still a way for people to receive help during the pandemic and everything that's going on. Um, I can tell you that I... I am going to more meetings now than ever because <laughs> what people don't understand is that these 12 step programs will help you in all areas of your life. And so, you know, not just alcoholism, it's a design for living that can help you, you know, overcome right now the effects of, of living with COVID-19. I am using that in my daily life every day. So there's so many reasons to go. Just reach out. 12 Steps to Recovery, My Steps to Recovery. Half of the book is about alcohol. The other half of the book is about life and dealing with the challenges in life. So this is 
So true what you have just said. 12 steps is a systematic approach to problems, to deal with problems. And you, whilst it was initially uh, created in a, with a religious uh, flair towards alcohol, step back. Remember, the same systematic approach has been used not for alcohol, but for drugs, for eating disorders, for emotional disorders, for loved ones who are not addicted but live with an addict. So you see already that the program seems to be working, even if you apply it to other situations. So who says it it wouldn't work to now your particular situation? Let's say you're in America and you are you are restricted by COVID and you don't know where the money is coming from and what the future brings, all those kind of things. Look into it. Is what have you got to lose? <laughs> I agree. Uh, Miranda, thank you so much for sharing so much light into into your journey, uh, for showing us that that there's that there's help out there for for living the, in as a as an example to show how you got it right, got it better, and how you are still working of getting it even more better. Betterer, something, <laughs> and it's and that's you know you always want to make yesterday jealous of today, so that's how I like to live my life. Try to do as much as you can and live this wonderful life. And guess what? If your if if your spouse is addicted and he sees you living with all this joy and with all this this fervor and the thirst for life suddenly she or he might actually think, hmm, and actually just by you living by example, by you looking after yourself, you set such a powerful model, such a powerful example. Oh, well done, you guys. Go out there, live your life. Miranda, thank you so much for coming onto my show. I loved our chat today. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Have a fantastic time. Bye. Bye.